When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today will be a momentous day in the history of Miami. The 45th President of the United States, former President Donald John Trump, will appear alongside co-defendant and aide Walt Nauta at the Wilkie D. Jr. Courthouse in downtown Miami to respond to a 49-page federal indictment. The epicenter, the intersection of crime, criminal justice, politics, history, all right here at Miami Federal Courthouse. And former President Trump enters as a criminal defendant. The indictment includes 31 counts of violating the Espionage Act through willful retention of classified records, as well as charges related to obstruction of justice and false statements related to his alleged efforts to impede the investigation into his possession and retention of the previously mentioned documents. It will be the first time a president or former president appears in a federal courthouse to answer charges, and only the second time a current or former constitutional executive officer appears in federal court, the previous being Spiro T. Agnew in 1973. On that day, Agnew appeared in front of a judge, pled no contest to tax fraud, and resigned the vice presidency. Quite a busy 24 hours. The constitutional formalities of that decision were fulfilled last Wednesday when I tendered my resignation as vice president to the Secretary of State. The legal sanctions necessary to resolve the contest, sanctions to which I am subject like any other citizen under our American citizen, under our American system, will fulfill that same day when I pleaded nolo contendere and accepted the judgment of a federal court for a violation of the tax laws in 1967 when I was governor of Maryland. So again, it's not hyperbole to say that this will unquestionably go down as one of the landmark historical days in Miami-Dade County history. Part of the focus today will be on the community's response in particular protests against and in support of the former president. City of Miami Mayor Francis Suarez spoke to the gathered media yesterday about the city's prepared response. Tomorrow uh, there's going to be an event uh, in downtown Miami at uh, uh, the courthouse and we wanted to assure the public that we've already begun preparations uh, for the event tomorrow and we'll talk about what our plan uh, for security is for tomorrow to make sure that everyone has a right to peacefully express themselves and exercise their constitutional rights um, and, and obviously do it in a peaceful manner. So unquestionably, big day. But in one other way, this day is not quite as unprecedented as American media might frame it out to be, at least for Miami. For while today will represent the first time a former 
American president appears in federal court. President Trump won't be the first former head of state to appear in front of a judge in South Florida as a criminal defendant. And I'll be bending our format slightly to tell you a little bit about that day in Miami history. January 4th, 1990, the day the deposed Panamanian military dictator Manuel Noriega was arraigned at the Miami Federal Courthouse. Manuel Antonio Noriega Moreno was not always an adversary of the United States. In fact, Noriega had a relationship with the United States government that went back more than three decades, and it involved $322,000 in cash and gifts from both the Central Intelligence Agency and the United States Army. Noriega rose through the Panama National Guard, Originally commissioned as a second lieutenant in September 1962, he followed his commanding officer, Omar Torrijos, to the halls of Panamanian power. In October of 1968, Major Boris Martinez led a coup over the elected leadership of the country, deposing President Arnulfo Arias and instituting military power. But Martinez was not destined to hold it for long. Martinez did not have enough widespread support to hold on to power for a long period of time, and the United States was opposed to him. So Torrijos ousted Martinez from power, exiling him to Miami. Torrijos himself faced an attempted coup in 1969, and it was Noriega who was there while Torrijos was out of the country to defend the regime. This fortified Torrijos' power. And it also fortified Noriega's position as Torrijos' right-hand man. Noriega would be appointed the chief of military intelligence in August of 1970, a tremendously important position in the regime. And he would remain in that role until 1981, when Torrijos died in a plane crash. For the two years following, there was a triumvirate of power that slowly was stripped away until one man Noriega was left standing. He never took on the title of president. There was always someone else who filled that position. But Noriega was the head man in charge, the real leader of Panama for most of the 1980s. It was in this decade, the 1980s, that Central America saw significant instability. Internal conflict in Nicaragua and El Salvador led the United States to find any sort of stable partner in the region that could be a potential ally. And Manuel Noriega was their man. He allowed the Central Intelligence Agency to open listing posts in the country, helped the U.S.-backed Salvadorian government against the insurgent FMLN, agreed to train Contra soldiers in Panama for an invasion of Nicaragua in 1986, all kinds of foreign policy support from the military dictator. However, the United States government was not the only ally of Noriega at this point. Another close ally and business partner was the Medellin cartel, moving millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars of cocaine from Colombia into the United States. By the late 1980s, Noriega, 
who had a reputation as ruthless but sloppy, was getting even more careless and drunk on power. Three key events from 1985 to 1989 really changed the attitude between the United States and Noriega. The first was the murder of Panamanian Hugo Spadafora Franco, a critic of the military regime. Hugo Spadafora was in Costa Rica, heading into Panama, reportedly ready to level charges and accusations against Noriega. He had been pulled off a bus, tortured, decapitated, and killed. His headless body was discovered on the Costa Rican border, inside a bag marked U.S. Post Office. Before his murder, Spadafora had informed the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency about some of Noriega's activity involving drug smuggling. That information, and other information, was vital in securing a 1988 indictment by a grand jury against Noriega in Miami and in Tampa on charges of drug trafficking. It turned Noriega from close ally to fugitive from justice. But while he was head of Panama, he would never face justice in the United States. He had sovereign immunity. The United States couldn't just go in and arrest him. Our law enforcement has no jurisdiction in Panama. Well, a series of events, beginning with an annulled general election of 1989, and then followed by the National Council appointing Noriega as the maximum leader of Panama. After the appointment of Noriega, the National Assembly took an additional step. In previous months, the United States government had criticized the Panamanian government for its anti-democratic steps. Because of this, the National Assembly decided to declare war on the United States on December 15th, 1989. This was for Noriega, the beginning of the end. Last night, I ordered U.S. military forces to Panama. No president takes such action lightly. As president, I have no higher obligation than to safeguard the lives of American citizens. And that is why I directed our armed forces to protect the lives of American citizens in Panama and to bring General Noriega to justice in the United States. Operation Just Cause, as it came to be known, launched on December 20th, 1989. And within four days, it was largely a complete success in terms of accomplishing American goals, with one exception, capturing Noriega. He was on the run eventually taking refuge in the apostolic nunciature of the diplomatic mission of the Holy See in Panama City. In layman's terms, he was in the Vatican's embassy, and the United States could not enter to seize him. But what they could do is try to dial up the pressure from the outside to force him out. And that's exactly what they did. The United States Army attempted to put psychological pressure on Noriega inside the walls of the embassy, gunning the engines of armored vehicles against the Nunciature's fence, setting fire to a neighboring field, which allowed it to become a helicopter landing zone, and, reportedly, playing a variety of different rock and roll music songs, including I Fought the Law by The Clash, You Shook Me All Night Long by ACDC, and Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. The army claimed that the music was designed to prevent 
outside agencies from being able to pick up their conversations using parabolic microphones. But it certainly did have the intended effect. On January 3rd, 1990, Noriega walked out the doors of the Apostolic Nunciature and turned himself into the United States Army. He was arrested, declared a prisoner of war, taken to Howard Air Force Base in Panama, and from there, put on an MC-130E Combat Talon 1 aircraft and flown to Homestead Air Force Base in Miami-Dade County. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with Privacy Mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course, present my thoughts the way I want. Right again! Now, you're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh, there it is. Drawing board or... Miro. Our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's won. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro Brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The U.S. finally got Manuel Noriega into a courtroom today. This afternoon in Miami, the man who was so often judge and jury when he ruled Panama was arraigned on a long list of charges, which include conspiracy, racketeering, and drug trafficking. The arraignment in what is now the C. Clyde Atkins U.S. Courthouse at 301 North Miami Avenue in downtown Miami was just like any other drug proceeding that the city had seen over the previous decades. Remember, after all, the 1980s were the height of the cocaine cowboys era. But there were little nods and little hints that the defendant accused wasn't just the normal defendant that might be going through a federal case in Miami. At the Miami Federal Courthouse late this afternoon, General Noriega came to his arraignment dressed in a military uniform. He claimed he is a political prisoner and because he is chief of state should be given diplomatic immunity. The case that the federal government built against Noriega was relatively strong, both based on evidence collected before his removal as leader and actions taken by the Department of Justice after his removal. The next voice you'll hear is of Robert Jackson, an investigative reporter for the Los Angeles Times who covered the Noriega trial, both before, during, and after. Here he is speaking on C-SPAN. The case has been strengthened substantially because they've been able to turn, uh, as government witnesses, about half of the co-defendants who had been charged with him. There was originally Noriega and 15 uh, co-defendants who were charged in the uh, 1988 indictment. And now I think they have about seven of those co-defendants who have agreed to testify against Noriega in return for uh, 
leniency on their part. Noriega's defense was twofold. First, he and his attorneys argued that he was head of state and subject to sovereign immunity, not able to be prosecuted in American courts. The judge overseeing the trial was not interested in that argument. It had been presented to the grand jury before the indictment. They dismissed it, and the judge didn't carry on with it. But there was a second question that hung over the trial. What if Noriega was a middleman for the American government, doing their bidding? Again, here's Robert Jackson. But the defense seems to be indicating that they will attempt to show that whatever bad deeds Noriega committed, he did them with the approval and the knowledge of the U.S. government, particularly the U.S. intelligence agencies. And so, in effect, Noriega will say, uh, what if I did uh, receive money uh, for allowing uh, cocaine to be shipped into the U.S.? The, the Drug Enforcement Administration knew I was doing it. The Central Intelligence Agency knew I was doing it. And they wanted me to stay close to the Colombian drug traffickers in order to feed them intelligence about where these shipments were going and, and who the uh, traffickers were. And so I did this as sort of a, uh, a spy working with the CIA. And I didn't do it for any ill intent. I did it because I wanted to help the U.S. government. Noriega was held in the basement of the federal courthouse in downtown Miami for most of the rest of the month, until on January 28th, when he was moved to the Metropolitan Correctional Center in Southwest Miami-Dade. Now known as Federal Correctional Institute Miami, the facility is approximately 100 feet northwest of the boundary of Zoo Miami. It's where Noriega would spend the next two decades of his life. There was a moment for the history books today in Miami. The first leader of a foreign nation ever taken by force and brought to the United States for trial has been found guilty. General Manuel Noriega, the former dictator of Panama, was convicted on eight of ten drug and racketeering counts. He was found guilty in April of 1992, and in July of that year was sentenced to 40 years in prison. In the time that he was at Federal Correctional Institute, Miami, because he was a prisoner of war, he received certain benefits that a normal prisoner would not receive, thanks to the Third Geneva Convention. He had his own prison cell, and he was provided with electronics and exercise equipment. The room came to be known as the Presidential Suite. Despite his detention in South Florida, Noriega still fancied himself a mover and shaker in Panama. According to the obituary written by the Miami Herald's Glenn Garvin, nearly every morning during his stay in federal prison in Miami, he made a permitted local call to a friend in Miami. That friend passed him through into a series of long-distance calls to Panama. According to the quote, he catches up on the political gossip and then he starts giving advice and even orders. And everybody says, see sí, mi general, and then goes about their business. He's completely delusional. Despite the lengthy sentence, the 40-year term was cut down due to good behavior. Noriega spent 17 years behind bars as a convicted felon, which ended on September 9, 2007. However, he wound up spending almost three more years in the United States. The reason why is that he was fighting extradition to France. He faced similar charges in France, but they were not going to acknowledge his prisoner of war status, which meant he was going to lose some of the protections that he enjoyed in the United States. 
In three years of fighting, he remained behind bars in order to avoid the extradition. Eventually, though, the Supreme Court refused to hear his appeal in January 2010, and later that year, he was sent to France. He was found guilty and sentenced to seven years in jail. However, one year later, the French would send him back to Panama to face justice in his homeland. Noriega had been found guilty in absentia of a variety of crimes. And so as soon as he was returned to Panama, he went to prison and stayed there for the rest of his life with only a few short interruptions. Once in 2012, he was taken to Hospital San Tomas in Panama City due to high blood pressure and a brain hemorrhage. The brain hemorrhage was a sign of things to come. The following year, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. It was benign. But five years later, he would be allowed to have surgery to attempt to have the tumor removed. He was placed on house arrest to prepare for a surgery that would take place about two months later. On March 7, 2017, in the course of the surgery to remove the tumor, he suffered another brain hemorrhage. He was left in critical condition, and approximately three weeks later, Noriega was dead at 83. Noriega's story is not a Miami story. It's a Panamanian story. It's a Pan-American story. It's a story about the role of the United States in the world and the controversies that arise when the United States is involved in the affairs of other countries. But it's unquestionable to say that arguably the most important turning point in Manuel Noriega's life centered around Miami. As always, I want to acknowledge the sources that were important in creating this episode. First off, the obituary of Manuel Noriega, written by Glenn Garvin, uh, is really fantastic. Uh, ABC News did a fantastic job of archiving their coverage of Noriega in Panama and in Miami. Um, C-SPAN as well, incredibly useful uh, to this episode. Uh, As always, I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. Uh, I encourage you, if you haven't already done so, please like, follow, subscribe, whatever your platform uses uh, to this day in Miami history to make sure you know when new episodes come out and follow us on social media uh, at this day Miami pod at pretty much every major social media platform. If you already do both those things, if you could leave us a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform, that would be really amazing. It helps people find the show. Uh, And I can tell you, we have already had our best listened to quarter in the history of the show. Uh, And we still have two, three more weeks left in June. Uh, So the growth of the show is really remarkable. It's really gratifying. I really appreciate it. And it would not be possible without the folks like you who listen every episode. So that is it for this month. We will be back next month with a new episode. And until then, I've been Matthew Bunch. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent 10 hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates. Next, your diagrams become so bulky. 
It's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times. And stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in. But you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it... Miro, easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.